Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by my friends over at ChopC60.com. If you haven't heard of Carbon 60 or otherwise called C60 before, it is a powerful Nobel Prize winning antioxidant that helps to optimize mitochondrial function, fights inflammation, and neutralizes toxic free radicals. I'm a huge fan of using C60 in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle to support your immune system, help your body detox, and increase energy and mental clarity. If you are over the age of 40 and you'd like to kick fatigue and brain fog to the curb this year, visit shopc60.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 15% off your first order and start taking back control over your health today. The products I use, I use their C60 in organic MCT coconut oil. They have it in various different flavors. They also have sugar-free gummies that are made with allulose and monk fruit. They also have carbon 60 and organic avocado and extra virgin olive oil. When it's combined with these fats, it absorbs more effectively. And carbon 60 is great as a natural energizing tool because it really helps your mitochondria optimize your energy production. Now, if you take it late at night, for some individuals, it may seem a little bit stimulating. So that's why we recommend taking it earlier in the day, and it will give you that great energy, that great great mental clarity that you want all day long. It will help reduce the effects of oxidative stress and aging and really help you thrive. So again, guys, go to shopc60.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS to save 15% off your first order and start taking back control of your health today. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got another great Q&A session for you, listener Q&A. So we get these questions in from YouTube, from Instagram, from our website, and we pluck out some of the best questions that we think will make a great podcast. So if you've got some health questions, definitely um, you can put them up on Dr. David Jocker's Instagram, on YouTube as well. Um, under the comments section on a video, or you can just email us at info at drjockers.com or in the comments for our website. And we'd be happy to put that in our master list. And so joining me today is Dr. Yvonne, and she is an awesome naturopath that works with people all over the world. So she works with people virtually through our, through drjockers.com and working with a wide range of different health conditions and people that are struggling with different health goals, and she helps guide them to success. And so she's joining me today to answer questions, and we got some great topics. We're going to talk about hyperthyroidism a little bit. We're going to talk about prostate health. We're going to talk about hypoglycemia and the best nutrition strategies for that, and a couple other topics if we're able to get to them. So anyways, great questions. And Dr. Yvonne, how are you doing today? You excited for this? Yes. Good morning, Dr. Jockers. I am excited for today. We have great questions and I think people are going to be delighted to hear the new information that is going to help and support their health. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, you can reach out if you're looking for a great health coach uh, to help guide you when it comes to customizing a health plan, reach out to Dr. Yvonne, just D-R-I-V-O-N-N-E at drjockers.com. That's her email. You can also find her on our coaching tab on drjockers.com as well. All right, let's go into the questions. Yes, let's go into the questions. This question coming from Mary on Instagram. She says, I hear a lot of people talk about hypothyroidism, but what about hyperthyroidism, Graves' disease? What should someone do to get better from Graves? Yeah, and so we get this question often because you know we put out a lot of content and a lot of other you know, websites put out a lot of content on hypothyroidism or too low thyroid function, because that's 
much more common than hyperthyroidism. And so, you know, we tend to create more content associated with that and discuss that more. But hyperthyroidism or Graves' disease, which is an autoimmune condition that causes higher amounts of thyroid hormone to be released from the thyroid gland is a significant issue. And it's a growing condition and it can be life-threatening because when you have too much thyroid hormone, you end up increasing your metabolism in the cells too much. And that can particularly impact things like your, your cardiovascular system, right? And cause tachycardia where your, your heart heart's just racing, cause AFib, so atrial fibrillation, where you're, in, in a sense, your heart goes into a spasm. And uh, so it's not able to, to contract and release effectively and get the blood and the oxygen to the tissues. And of course, that can lead to a cardiac event, right? And, and, and end up and you end up in the hospital or even, you know, God forbid, even dying. And so it, it can be a life-threatening condition. And it's typically, you know, typically they they either shut down the thyroid with uh, with medication or they will actually go in, remove the thyroid or or damage the thyroid to where it's not able to, to produce thyroid hormone. And so when, whenever we're looking at autoimmune condition, I always think, you know, gut health, right? We, we always have to look at leaky gut. So we know that when the intestinal lining is damaged, that that is a foundational component of any autoimmune condition because now bacteria, large undigested food particles, other microbes, microbial debris are all getting into the bloodstream, driving this enhanced immune activity. And that can turn into autoimmunity. And depending on somebody's genetics, that can lead to Graves' disease or hyperthyroidism. So we have to start healing the gut. We got to look at the diet. You know, so if you've got a lot of processed food, sugars, gluten, gluten is a is a significant trigger for uh, for autoimmune conditions, particularly Graves' disease. So we've got to look at that dairy. You know, so usually we're going to look at diet and make some significant diet changes. We're also going to look at things like vitamin D. So actually getting your vitamin D optimized, which would be a suggestion we'd look at for, for hypothyroidism as well. And we see with Graves and, and hyperthyroidism, typically their vitamin D levels are really low, under 30 nanograms per milliliter. In fact, many of them are very low, under 20 nanograms per milliliter. And so we want to get that up in that 60, 80 uh, nanogram per milliliter range. So getting a good vitamin D3 and taking that with meals can be really significant. And that can play a big role. And there's a lot of other things we could talk about. Dr. Yvonne, why don't you jump in and discuss this topic a little bit? Yes, and this is very important that we make a distinction between autoimmune condition and just your regular hyperthyroidism. Because you know, your approach in addressing that condition is very different. So we need to be aware that it's a mechanism that is happening of your own body attacking itself. In particular, in this case, the receptors of the thyroid producing hormone. And so we, that is so very important because your, your, your strategy will be different. Like you said, you know, addressing the gut, addressing pathogens, uh, you know, toxins, et cetera, stress, all of that is so, so very important. And a lot of times uh, we, we also need to address, and that is also ignored, is like your mental state, you know, your view of life. Uh, that can also be a factor in contributing to that mechanism. And, and you can think of, uh, of this condition as the accelerator stuck. It's just like constantly accelerating. So what it's gonna do is gonna wear out all your organs because everything depends on your thyroid and, and your thyroid sets the rate in which things happen. So if this is constantly accelerated, it's just systemic. Everything is gonna be affected and worn out. So like you said, it's really important that we address that. The other thing that is important to know Know that once you have a one autoimmune condition, more than likely there's others. So where are the others? So the next question is, is there another um, organ or system that is being attacked through this autoimmune uh, mechanism? Yeah, it's key. And, and going back to what you talked about there, we have to look at pathogens. So a lot of times there's gut infections, parasites, or maybe an H. pylori overgrowth in the stomach, some sort of dysbiosis going on in the gut. Sometimes there's high histamine producing bacteria like Klebsiella that will overgrow in the gut. 
and uh, you know trigger more of a, an immune reaction when your when your histamine levels increase. And so we've got to look at how your body's responding to histamine, gut dysbiosis. Perhaps there's fungal overgrowth in your gut, candida and other other yeast organisms. Perhaps you're being exposed to mold. So we got to look at different toxins, heavy metals. Maybe you've, you've had amalgam or silver fillings in your mouth, or you've gotten a lot of vaccines or something like that, that would expose you to a lot of heavy metals. So these are all things that we need to consider when we're looking at the root cause factors. Sometimes there's some low-hanging fruit when it comes to reducing the intensity of the symptoms. And that's why I was mentioning vitamin D. That's something that, you know, typically you can improve your levels of vitamin D pretty quickly and it, and it can make a significant impact. I've seen a lot of people with hyperthyroidism and other autoimmune conditions, when you get their vitamin D levels optimized, they feel better, right? It doesn't get to the full root cause oftentimes because there's these other factors, but they do feel better. And obviously that plays a big role. <clears throat> if we can improve your sleep quality, you know, getting you uh, wearing blue light blocking glasses in after dark and dimming your lights and going to bed at a good time and, and getting really good quality sleep, setting your room temperature proper, properly, having a fan on, wearing an eye mask, doing all the great sleep hygiene that we talk about a lot on, on this podcast. If we can do that and you're sleeping better and getting morning sunshine and things like that and getting movement in, oftentimes you're, you're going to feel better. Meanwhile, hopefully you're working. If you have an autoimmune condition, you should be working with some sort of a, a, a functional health practitioner, somebody like Dr. Yvonne, where they can actually figure out what the root cause driving factors are. Like we said, infections, toxins, stressors, maybe your body's in a, in a state of PTSD where you have post-traumatic stress from something that happened in your life. We've got to look at those things and really address them, peel back the, the onion in a sense, right? Get to the the deeper layers and start to heal and repair those things. But again, with, with hyperthyroidism, a lot of the, the natural treatment is really the same as hypothyroidism. I would say the big thing that we avoid would be high iodine foods and iodine containing supplements when somebody has hyperthyroidism. Other than that, treatment oftentimes can be very, very similar. Um, in the sense that you know we're, we're really just trying to get to the root cause. But if we're adding in a lot of iodine, iodine is, is basically what you need to produce thyroid hormone, right? So when we look at T4, that's four iodine molecules, T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone, it's three iodine molecules. And so if you've got enough iodine, your body's gonna produce the thyroid hormone. And so if we're adding in more iodine, that can cause worsening or worsened types of symptoms. And then we may increase the amount of goitrogen, goitrogenic types of foods in somebody with hyperthyroidism. Goitrogens are plant compounds that will actually bind to iodine. So we may add some of those in as long as your body tolerates them well, like if you feel good eating them. And a lot of these higher goitrogenic foods are foods that have health benefits. You just may, you would just want to make sure you're digesting them well. That would be like things like broccoli, kale, uh, cauliflower. Um, all, all of your cruciferous veggies have higher amounts of goitrogens, which are going to, you know, not have a significant impact, but it might help bump you in, in a, in a positive direction if you've got hyperthyroidism. So consuming those foods, you know, the, really the best benefit of those foods are they increase your NRF2 pathway and your, which is how your body deals with oxidative stress. So they help to reduce oxidative stress. they also have detoxification components. They help your body with detoxification and obviously that's really beneficial as well. So um, so that would be, you know, some of the major things. Anything else there, Dr. Yvonne, that we're missing on this topic? Yes, nutrition is very important. There are other uh, compounds that we can um, introduce in our diet, such as curcumin. Yeah. It's very anti-inflammatory and research has shown that it can decrease antibodies. Things like L-carnitine blocks the effects of thyroid hormones. Selenium also reduces inflammation. And some Chinese herbs have been found to help with this, you know, lowering thyroid hormones. So those are the things that we can also use when addressing um, Graves' disease. And I just want to super emphasize the importance of sleep. Sleep. You know, if you have any kind of health condition, but particularly autoimmune condition, you have to sleep. 
you have to sleep. And so it's very important that, like you're saying, if you're having difficulty, address that. Sleep hygiene is very important because sleep is when you repair and recover. And, you know, there's so many things that happen during your sleep for your health to be better and your immune system gets reset, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, absolutely. Sleep is so very important. Yeah, super key. So we also have a great article on hyperthyroidism that you can check out on drjockers.com if you want uh, research citations and if you just want to understand a lot, it's a lot more thorough even than what we talked about today. So um, so go and check that out as well. Now let's go into the next topic. Yeah, let's, let's go to the next one. Stephanie on the website asked, what is the best diet for people with hypoglycemia? Yeah. So hypoglycemia means low blood sugar. So when your blood sugar drops too low, and typically when people have a hypoglycemic reaction, their blood sugar drops and therefore the brain tissue, you know, say the brain it is about 20% of our metabolism or energy production takes place in the brain. And so the brain really depends on glucose. And when we, we, our blood sugar drops too low, we often notice it with a lot of these types of neurological symptoms. We get irritable, um, nauseous sometimes, dizzy. Uh, we might even sweat a little bit. And so, you know, people will say they're hangry. For example, we have cravings, we're hungry. And so it's like, we're hungry and we're angry. That's kind of a classic sign of hypoglycemia. So your brain really depends on continual supply of glucose. And it's very important that your body keeps your blood glucose regulated. And it should be able to do this, not only from obviously eating foods, but then also between meals, you have hormones like cortisol, which is a glucocorticoid, meaning that its job is to elevate blood glucose. You have all this stored sugar in the form of glycogen that's in your muscles and in your liver. And so when you, you know, when you're not eating, your body naturally produces a little bit of cortisol, and that should break basically break down the sugar from glycogen and put it into the bloodstream. So you keep your blood sugar really, really steady. The issue with people that have hypoglycemia is their body is not very responsive. It's not good at digging into the sugar stores in their liver and in their muscles and putting it into the bloodstream where it belongs or really where, where they need it at that time, right? So, um, and, and they're also not good at burning fat for fuel because the brain can, you know, typically your brain can run off of glucose and ketones, but it really needs a combination of both of them. It can't run 100% off ketones. So it always needs a certain amount of glucose. It can only run roughly 40% of the energy from ketones. They're, they're basically broken down from fat. So when we're burning fat for fuel and our insulin goes down, our body, our liver will actually create ketones. And then those ketones get into the brain where they can be used for energy. And they're also very satiating. They're also, they also turn down inflammation in the brain. They're epigenetic modulators. So they actually help to modulate the brain. They help the production and receptor activity of glutamate, which is your excitatory neurotransmitter and GABA, which is your inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it really helps smooth out the brain when we have ketones elevated and we're able to utilize them effectively for energy. But the key with that is keeping insulin down and under control. And so for some individuals, when they have insulin resistance, insulin oftentimes is elevated with people that have hypoglycemic reactions. Not always, sometimes it's very low, but sometimes it's elevated and they're not able to, they're not able to get insulin down low enough to trigger the burning of fat, the breakdown of fat and the release of these ketones into the brain. So whenever I'm looking at somebody with hypoglycemia, I think, okay, we've got to improve this person's ability to burn fat for fuel and obviously to stabilize their blood sugar levels because hypoglycemia is extremely stressful on the body. When your blood sugar drops like that, literally the brain cells are starving. And so you have you end up with something called neuroexcitotoxicity where the brain cells, because they're starving, they start to die. When they die, they release different compounds that trigger death of neurons right around them. And so they create a cascade of neuronal cell death. And that can be really, really problematic. And obviously that can drive a lot of mood uh, issues as well as other cognitive dysfunctions. And so very, very serious condition. And so Dr. Yvonne, how do we go, go about starting to, to treat this? Well, I... 
But I find a lot of people, when they get in trouble with hypoglycemia, there are many reasons why, but what I find typically is with clients that I work with, they forget to eat and they don't eat regularly, or sometimes they don't eat enough uh, fats and protein, uh, and so their blood sugar drops, or they're under a lot of stress and they burn all their energy. So a, a way of approaching this is really looking at what is causing your hypoglycemia, because everybody is different. It could be driven by a condition, like you said, like a diabetic person may have moments of hypoglycemia, but other, other people may be because they're just not eating regularly and they don't have the stores to keep their energy up. And some people are just not combining their food properly. For example, you can have a large meal, but it's all carbohydrates. And so those that food is going to burn up and, and get you up in a high, in a state of hyperglycemia. And what happens, the, the higher you go, you, the lower you're going to drop. And then you find people just going up and down and up and down. And it's so, so stressful for the body. So what I find is people that have hypoglycemia, they also have hyper. So we really need to sit down and see what is what, what am I doing that is causing this? And that would be the first step. And as far as dietary, making sure that you have a good combination. Um, I like to combine, you know, a healthy fat with good fiber and some protein. So when a breakfast, the, the first meal of the day is the most important meal because that's going to set the tone of your blood sugar regulation and help you not get those ups and downs. So unfortunately, most Americans eat cereal, juice, yogurt, and toast. That's their typical breakfast, or perhaps just cereal and coffee or a donut and coffee. So that sets them to a, a place of going up and down. And if they forget to eat, they'll have, you know, this, what you call that they're hungry and they're angry because it's affecting their brain. So let's start with a healthy breakfast. Things like, you know, if you're able to eat eggs, eggs with a lot of veggies. It is a wonderful uh, breakfast and some avocado. Oh, that is wonderful. And if, if, if you are in that state where you're not regulating your blood sugar, at the beginning, it may be good for you to not allow, um, to be without food uh, for the next two to three hours because you're having a hard time regulation so maybe a handful of walnuts or maybe an apple and some walnuts and then that will take you to your next meal and make sure that your next meal also has a good fat protein and carbs and um you may do that at the beginning until eventually you can have three meals and then you can do some fasting but we really really need to see what our what is our contribution in this uh, roller coaster ride. Yeah, super important. I always recommend 30 grams of protein in your meal. That will really help stabilize your blood sugar. So try to get 30 grams of protein, add in some healthy fats, fiber, like you talked about, super important. And then also hydrating well between meals and adding a little bit of salt. In fact, a lot of people, I've worked with a lot of people, I've had headaches, migraines, uh, hypoglycemic types of symptoms in the morning. And we start them out with water, a little bit of lemon and salt, actually putting salt in their water, like a half a teaspoon, a good amount of salt, and just kind of uh, stirring that and drinking that. And they notice they feel a lot better. And this is because when our sodium levels and our, our, our hydration goes down, so the sodium helps bring the water into the cells more effectively, when our cellular hydration goes down, we're going to over-release oftentimes, or we're going to have trouble some, in, for some individuals releasing enough cortisol. So we don't get the morning wakefulness. We get very, we have trouble producing energy in the morning and we can have hypoglycemic like reactions. And so, uh, so getting that salt and water in the morning, the lemon is good, just really more for digestive juices, for, uh, for helping your, your bile flow, um, helping detoxification, helping activate your vagus nerve, which reduces stress in your system, reduces your uh, your sympathetic or fight or flight, and so can help balance your nervous system there. Doing something like that in the morning, oftentimes people notice a huge difference there. 
And for certain individuals, if you've been dealing with hypoglycemia, we don't really worry about intermittent fasting in the beginning, but I like to do three solid meals, okay? Um, getting 30 grams of protein and then somewhere around 15 to 25 grams or so of healthy fats, depending on how well your body breaks down fat. For some individuals, if you don't have a gallbladder or if you just don't feel good when you eat a lot of fat, we'll do more like the 15 grams. For those who can who can handle a little bit more, we'll go up to you know maybe 25 grams or so. And that will really help with satiation. And that should help you be able to basically go longer periods of time. And as long as you've got the good salts too, and, and you're hydrating well between meals, I see a lot of people easily when they do that, go for you know four or five hours before they need a next meal. And so if you do that, oftentimes you can wait till you're hungry um, to consume the next meal. And then, you know, you're having another good solid lunch with, with healthy protein, healthy fats, and then something similar for dinner. So that way you're doing that and you're really focusing on good hydration and staying hydrated between meals. That can be really helpful. I also see some individuals with hypoglycemia that have their very poor caffeine metabolizers. So when they consume caffeine and they feel like they need the caffeine to get going. Oftentimes, it's really the fact that they're just dehydrated. They don't have the salts, but they're used to going for the caffeine. They get an instant jolt. They feel a little better, but then they get anxious. They get overly wired and tired, and they start to have hypoglycemic-like reactions. So for some of them, because they're poor caffeine metabolizers, we need to reduce or eliminate caffeine for a period of time. So those people will be like, well, what do I do for energy in the morning? Well, again, that 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 salt water drink with the lemon, that really helps. Also getting morning sunshine and taking a walk, getting out, getting activity and getting sun in the morning can be really, really helpful. Helps set your circadian rhythm. That can be extremely helpful. You can also do, if you're taking a shower in the morning, do 30 seconds where, you know, at the end where it's where it's cold, right? And that will actually kind of shock your system, which will elevate dopamine. And, and research has shown that actually that will stay elevated for a period of time, which can give you more, more energy and mental clarity uh, throughout the day, right? So for some individuals, if you're able to tolerate that, that that can be, uh, it's more sustainable actually than doing caffeine in the morning. So that can be extremely helpful as well. So those are just some good strategies. Doing some things like that can be really, really helpful for stabilizing blood sugar and helping you get over that hypoglycemia. Absolutely. And I think that is so very important, especially for individuals that are anxious all the time or feeling depressed, one of the things that the first thing to look at is how am I regulating my blood sugar? And you just gave great tips about the how to keep that blood sugar steady if you have issues with hypoglycemia and perhaps anxiety. I mean, that's that's awesome. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite supplements. It's Paleo Valley's grass-fed organ complex. It's like a supercharged multivitamin that allows you to get a full spectrum of traditional superfoods loaded with nutrients into your body faster, easier, and without having to tolerate the taste. You see, grass-fed organ complex contains not one, but three organs. It contains heart, liver, and kidney, which are extremely rich in B vitamins, vitamin A, minerals, coenzyme Q10, key things like selenium. These nutrients support your energy, your mental clarity, your immune health, as well as your skin. And they're found in the most bioavailable form that our ancestors used to get. You see, whenever our ancestors would kill an animal, they would go right for the organ meat. So the most coveted parts, because that's really where the life force was. They didn't understand nutrients, but today we know that's where the B vitamins, the CoQ10, the vitamin A, the key minerals are really concentrated in these organs as opposed to the muscle meats. And most of us are just not consuming organ meats on a regular basis, but now you can. You can get grass-fed organ complex, get these vital nutrients, they're freeze-dried to really preserve as much of the nutrients as possible. And you can take this again in, in, in replacement of some sort of a multivitamin that you may have been taking before. Guys, check it out. Go to paleovalley.com forward slash jockers and use the coupon code jockers at checkout to save 15% off today. Okay, well, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this is a question from Philip on YouTube. 
What do you recommend for prostate health, in particular someone with BPH who wants to make sure it doesn't progress into prostate cancer? Yeah, this is important, important for, for men's health. And so BPH is benign prostatic hypertrophy, meaning that the prostate gland, you know, which is in the groin area, that is enlarged, but it's not cancerous. And so, you know, research shows that most men are going to experience this if they live long enough, um, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, if not younger, and more and more men are noticing this at a younger age. And some of the symptoms there, oftentimes they're, they're going to have incontinence where they, it's like they have to go uh, urinate often at night. Like if you're having to urinate more than once at night, that's a sign you may have some of this, that you may have BPH going on. So like if you go to sleep for, let's say, eight hour period of time and you've got to pee two times or more, you may have BPH. You also may have trouble sometimes getting your stream going. Like, so it's like you have this urge, but you have trouble actually getting it out. It takes a really long time. That's a sign you may have BPH. So, you know, that's definitely when you want to address it uh, before it progresses. And so a couple of things with that, you know, with the prostate, the prostate is very sensitive to toxins. So that's a big factor. And then also there's a, uh, a enzyme called aromatase, which converts testosterone into estrogen and aromatase is elevated if you have excess visceral fat. So the more visceral fat that you have, the more of this aromatase enzyme that's taking your testosterone, converting it into estrogen. And we know that low testosterone is associated with BPH and, and prostatic issues, prostate issues. So we got to reduce the aromatase. And you know some of the ways that we do that are making sure that we're obviously exercising. You want to be doing things to help boost testosterone. So strength training for men, super critical. Uh, I mean, really for women as well, but especially so for men, um, building muscle, lean muscle tissue, right? So, so absolutely critical when it comes to overall prostate and overall male health, right? For your mood, your brain, everything. Men were, were, were built to lift heavy things. And so doing resistance training at least three days a week, ideally, um, where you're doing squats, you're doing deadlifts, you're doing um, maybe some sort of bench press or push up or pull up or something along those lines, doing large muscle group exercises. If you go and you're only doing um, bicep curls and you're only working your biceps, that's a very small muscle in comparison to the, the rest of the muscle tissue. So you want to do large muscle group exercises, super critical here. And also just movement throughout the day. Movement helps stimulate your lymphatic system. It helps flush your lymphatics. It helps improve circulation, deep cellular oxygenation. So just getting out and getting regular movement, so critical for overall prostate health. And then making sure that we're avoiding ultra-processed foods. And particularly when it comes to prostate, making sure that we're avoiding any sort of seed oil and doing our best to try to avoid foods that are highly sprayed with pesticides. Because I remember I mentioned how the prostate is very susceptible to toxins, particularly pesticides and herbicides. Oftentimes, if we're not, if we're ingesting them and we're not eliminating them effectively, they're going to impact that, that prostate gland. So trying to go organic as much as possible. And the environmental working group has a dirty dozen list and a clean 15. And typically when it comes to produce, you know, what we're thinking there is making sure that if we're going to eat the outer layer, okay, so something like a, a, a blueberry, you're going to eat the outer layer of that as opposed to an avocado, you're going to peel the outer layer. If you're going to eat the outer layer, you typically want to get that organic because you're going to have more pesticides. If you're going to eat the outer layer, pests are as well. They have to spray these plants with more pesticides and herbicides. When it comes to something like an avocado, there's less chemicals used and you're peeling that outer layer. There's going to be less chemicals in that avocado if you get it non-organic. So that's how you want to look at your produce is very important to get anything you're eating the outer layer. Try your best to get it organic at least 80% of the time if possible. Um, and then your meat, trying to get your meat as organic grass-fed as possible because meat bioaccumulates these pesticides and herbicides. So very important to try to get as much organic meat when you're eating animal products, organic animal products, as much as possible, grass-fed, super critical here. And then, you know, I, I mentioned obviously getting the movement in, that's super critical. 
There's also, we, we talked about that aromatase. There are certain certain plants, certain compounds that are in different plant-based foods that are aromatase inhibitors. So we know citrus, so you're thinking about lemons, limes, oranges, they have bioflavonoids. And these bioflavonoids are very powerful aromatase inhibitors. Also your allium family, that's your garlic, onions, leeks, they have very powerful aromatase inhibitors that stop your body from turning testosterone into estrogen. And then also your cruciferous vegetables. So your broccoli, cauliflower, kale, all that kind of stuff also does the same. So getting that into your diet as well as trying to do your best to go organic as much as possible and intermittent fasting, very, very important here as well, because we want to get that insulin down. When insulin is elevated, your body stores fat and it stores toxins. It doesn't detox well. So intermittent fasting is one of the best ways along with exercise and a lower carb style diet with, with good, good quality protein and fiber, healthy fats. That's one of the best ways to get your insulin levels down. You want to be very insulin sensitive so your body can burn fat between meals and while you're sleeping at night. So compressing your eating window to let's say eight hours each day, eating between 10 and six or 12 and eight, something along those lines at the minimum for a man, I would recommend that ideally even tightening it up to maybe six hours may be really effective, especially if you've got extra body fat to burn. If you're doing a lot of resistance training, you're doing a lot of strength training, you've got, you already have a lean body, eight hour window is great. If you've got extra visceral fat, if you stand up and you look down and you can't see your toes because your belly's in the way, you need a tight eating window. So I recommend like a six hour eating window where you're eating two meals, getting at least 30 to 40 grams of good quality protein in each of those meals in roughly like a six hour eating window. So that could be from 12 to six, one to seven, you know, whatever works good for you. And then hydrating really well outside of that, super critical for, for, for prostate health, for testosterone production, for insulin sensitivity, super critical. And then just doubling back on the seed oils, really key uh, that we're avoiding any sort of processed seed oils. That's corn oil, soybean oil, safflower, cottonseed, canola, peanut oil. Um, you know, there's all these different types of, of seed-based oils. We want to avoid those. And we want to get our fats from grass-fed organic animal products, wild-caught fish, extra virgin, high high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil, which is another great aromatase inhibitor as well. Um, avocados, coconut oil, those would be the, the types of fats that we want to get it from, grass-fed butter, all good fats as far as that goes. So that's kind of your baseline nutrition lifestyle plan. Dr. Yvonne, why don't you take it from there? Sure. So basically it's take, break, making sure your inflammation is going down and Blood sugar regulation is key for uh, for this as well, for keeping your hormones in balance. So whenever you spike your insulin you, 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 and you're not able to regulate your blood sugar, that is going to impact your prostate health and it's going to dysregulate your hormones. You'll be more estrogen dominant. And so that is really bad news for men and for women as well when they're estrogen dominant. Um, also, avoiding plastics. All plastics are what we're called endocrine disruptors, and that will affect the health, you know, of your hormones in general. And if you're looking at prostate health, that would be very important as well. So, if you can get rid of all plastics, and we have the tendency to keep hydrated sometimes with bottled water, and you know, bottled water, the plastic leaches, and then it's it's, it's another factor against us you know, and accumulating these toxins that are going to dysregulate our hormones. So making sure you avoid plastics. If you're going to store um, food, make sure they're, they're, they're glass. And uh, when you have coffee, you know, take the lid off your coffee cup so that it's not leaking. You know, things like this add up. So you may say, oh, it's not a big deal. But I mean, there's so many things going against us that those small things add up to your own good, for your good to really uh, help your health. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I always drink. I've got my glass jar right here. So I'm drinking out of glass. Okay. 
yeah, any sort of leftovers at my house, we have we have glass gladware, right? So it's, you know, your 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 Tupperware, but it's glass. It's got a plastic lid. So we just make sure that the food doesn't go all the way up to the top. So we're slamming up against the lid, but it's always in glass. We do our best to avoid our exposure to plastic. Obviously, you can't avoid it completely. And you may not need to avoid it completely. You probably don't. However, you just do your best so you're able to avoid it as much as possible. And uh, that will make a big difference for sure. Yeah. So those are really good tips. Couple other key things as far as nutrients go. We talked about vitamin D earlier. A lot of research on vitamin D and prostate health. So making sure your vitamin D levels are optimized, really key. Also, zinc. We know zinc is very important for overall prostate health. And most men are are deficient in zinc. Most people in our society are deficient in zinc. So you can actually test your zinc copper ratio. We do that with our comprehensive blood analysis. We can look at because zinc and copper compete. And so we don't want to just blast ourselves with such high amounts of zinc that copper gets depleted. We want a good balance there. What I found is that most people, if they're not doing any sort of supplementation, have much higher copper than zinc. So doing some level of zinc supplementation for most people is very, very beneficial. But if you want to be exact, getting your blood work done, I recommend getting it done twice a year and looking at your zinc to copper ratio. And so that's really key. Plasma zinc, serum copper, you know, getting that ratio looked at and you want it to roughly be around one to 1.2. So like one part zinc, one part copper, kind of close to that range. And, uh, and that's, that's a good range there. So looking at that is key. If you look at most prostate supplements on the market, a lot of them do have zinc already. A lot of them also have vitamin B6. Vitamin B6 also plays a key role with overall prostate health. And then there are certain herbs like saw palmetto, pygenium that also have been shown to be very effective for helping reduce growth of the prostate gland and improving overall prostate health. So we have a product, Prostate Protect, that has got you know a number of those those key nutrients in it, and uh, you know we've had a lot of great testimonials of people using that product. But I would only recommend the product as a supplement to the lifestyle. Remember. You know, when it comes to your when it comes to your overall health and and overcoming any sort of health condition and accomplishing your health goals, it's really like ninety percent lifestyle, if not more. So the lifestyle is really key. The supplement just gives you a good bump in the right direction, right? And so, but you can't supplement your way out of a healthy lifestyle. So get the lifestyle set up and done right, and uh, you know, add in the supplement if you want added protection, and that will be really helpful. Wonderful. So let's go on to Nikki's question on Instagram. Do you have patients that you feel are unable to heal due to unprocessed trauma, chronic fight or flight? What do you suggest to them? Yeah, 100%. So when people have PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, or if they're just in a really stressful environment, maybe they have a job that, um, you know, it's just, it's just so stressful for them or they're working way too much they're not going to heal properly. And there, there's other individuals too that may not have PTSD or they may enjoy their job. However, they're overtraining. They're working out too much because you know maybe they worked out like this when they were an athlete when they were 18 and now they're 42 and they think they need to work out like that. And so they're doing too much exercise. So when you're overstressing your system, absolutely, that's going to inhibit your body's ability to heal. Most commonly, we see that with people that have had early childhood traumas um, early childhood traumas could set you into a fight or flight response that you may never, you know, in a sense, until you actually address it and get some level of, of treatment for it, um, you may never have overcome, right? So you might be, you know, I'll use an example, like, like my mother was actually sexually abused when she was young and she didn't actually talk about it to anybody until she was, I think 30. Right. And so, um, so sometimes she was carrying that stress and trauma with her until she was in her thirties and didn't go through a healing process. And so that whole time she was just, her body was being stressed and overwhelmed. And so really, really important things to address. We talk about it with, you know, there's a, we have a great article called limbic system retraining and your limbic system is kind of where you process stress. And when your limbic system is overwhelmed, you're you're going to be in a pattern of fight or flight and you're not going to be able to heal. So yeah, this is super critical. I know Dr. Yvonne, you got a lot of experience with this as well. 
Yes. Um, so basically, we need to remember that the autonomic system has two branches, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system. So when you have a lot of trauma or chronic uh, fight or flight situation, your sympathetic system is constantly, you know, going on and on. And it's just everything is on alert. You know, it affects your heart rate. It affects, you know, everything is affected. And what is very interesting is that the way that we uh, recover the way that we heal. The only way is when we are going into a parasympathetic nervous system state. That's when healing happens. That when we're able to process information. That's when we're able to um, uh, digest. And so if we're in this constant stressful situation or trauma that is not processed is going to definitely impair our ability to repair and to heal. So it is very important that we address that. And then what is so interesting is that a lot of times these people that have this constant stress, what happens? They're not able to digest their food, right? They're not able to digest, assimilate, eliminate, and that produces another set of problems. And so it's so it's so important that we find a way of processing that trauma and um you know for some people is counseling for some people is talking for some people is forgiving for some people that are believers is talking to god and asking for healing but it's very important that we address that and many times after we address that we have to deal with the leftover effects of that constant uh, stress that has damaged or has impaired or has affected our body. And so we also go there and address that and, and help us recover and things like, you know, making sure that you are digesting your food, you're sleeping, you're exercising, you're, like I said, having some sunshine and having community. Community is so very important when you have trauma or, or chronic stress etc cetera, etc cetera. so yes definitely uh, we need to address that in order for true healing to happen because it's in the way you're always going to be on sympathetic mode and you need to be able to go into parasympathetic for that healing to happen yeah that's really good and and you mentioned community and one of the things community offers us is the opportunity to release this hormone called oxytocin and oxytocin is a master hormone oxytocin is what we get when we are, you know, when we get a hug from somebody, right? When we smile at somebody, when we have a good interaction, we feel connected. You know, it's like my wife will say, I feel connected to you, right? After we have a, a, a good conversation. And that's the oxytocin. She actually feels it in her body. She's like, oh, I'm connected to him, right? And so um, getting that oxytocin release is so critical. And if you're not, you're you're going to end up having higher amounts of your your cortisol, your different stress hormones. And so oxytocin helps quiet and balance your stress hormones. So stress hormones are great because they give us energy, mental clarity, they allow us to focus and and accomplish goals. But when they're out of control, they give us anxiety and and irritability and insomnia and uh, they don't allow us to heal properly. So they need to be balanced. And oxytocin is one of the great balancers. And this is why humans, we are, we are designed for connection with others. And some people need it more than others. Extroverted types of individuals need, need that oxytocin even more, right, than, than introverted people. But all of us need it to some degree. And we get that when we're in community with people. Um, so I think that's so critical. You know, even going back to like the hypoglycemia, right? So oftentimes people are dealing with issues like hypoglycemic type reactions in part because, you know, they, they're not getting enough oxytocin, right? They're not getting enough community. So that's super critical. You know, even if, you know, you don't have a, a spouse, right? Or a significant other or, or family members around, get a pet. A lot of people do really well getting a pet because of the oxytocin release when you're petting your cat, when you're petting your dog, when you're snuggling with your dog, right? 
um, that oxytocin release can be so powerful. So yeah, I think that's critical. And then there are a lot of different strategies and techniques. Um, clearly, you know, lots of people, their, their lives have been changed by following, you know, a faith-based organization, going to church, um, being involved in small people groups, small groups, uh, where you can converse and grow in your faith. I think that's so powerful. And there's other other strategies that a lot of functional health practitioners have used. We've got a great article on limbic retraining. There's something called the brain tap headset, which kind of combines a number of different strategies using uh, to help st actually stimulate your brain waves, right? And uh, it's really powerful. So it's got binaural beats. It's got light. They actually can use light where your eyes are closed, but there's kind of light that's coming out that can help to quiet down your limbic response. Um, there's the Gupta amygdala retraining program. There's the DNRS, dynamic neural retraining system, emotional freedom technique, which uses tapping and things like that. And people have gotten great results using a lot of these different techniques. So if you're interested in that, check it out, limbic uh, retraining on our website. All, all really good stuff, but absolutely healing's not going to take place until, you know, we deal with that, that level of chronic fight or flight. And so that's super critical. Yeah. And one last thing, I mean, when you are in a state and you are aware, some people are aware and some people are not aware, addressing the physical health will help address the trauma and the chronic stress. And it's not necessarily you want to, you want to start with processing the trauma and not necessarily physical, but many times when we address our physical state where they, we bring the inflammation down and that will help us think clearly, be more open to address that trauma. Many times the, the physical inflammation is so great because of the trauma like I said, that trauma will affect you physically. It affects your immune system. It affects your ability to cope physically in general. So if we address our physical or our biology and all of that will help us process better or be more willing and open to process that trauma and address the chronic stress. So that that is also another way of looking at it as well. Yeah, so good. You know, I think that's all the time we have today. Uh, great questions. Keep them coming. Every single month we do these listener Q&As and I'm joined by Dr. Yvonne or, or Hampton, our great health coaches. And if you guys need help with your health goals, don't hesitate to reach out. Again, Dr. Yvonne, it's just D-R-I-V-O-N-N-E at drjockers.com. You can email her any questions you have. You can also check out her coaching tab uh, on our website as well. And she works with people all over the world. She's also bilingual. She also speaks Spanish. So, you know, if you know people out there that uh, that may not that may prefer to speak Spanish, Dr. Yvonne is your person. She is incredibly well credentialed, lots of experience, works with a wide range of different health conditions, and uh, she's just a lovely person to 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 work with and an expert. So, definitely uh, definitely take advantage of that, guys. And again. Send us any questions you have for future Q&As. Thanks so much for being a part of our community. Dr. Yvonne, thanks for joining me today. And we'll see you guys all in future podcasts. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.